Remember when we were in the IMTS TV booth and we were right across from the student center? All of those young millennials, those high school students, those elementary students, they're so excited learning about an industry that we are so impassioned about. Yeah, these are high school kids. That was awesome. I know. And IMTS 2018. I'm looking on their site, imts.com right now. I cannot believe how much they're trying to engage with that future workforce. Absolutely. And and I'll tell you what, I brought my young son, who's not anywhere close to high school, to IMTS. I ran into Doug Woods. He thought it was awesome that uh, my son Brady was there looking at all the machining technologies. And I would encourage manufacturing leaders out there, bring your kids, check it out, get them excited about manufacturing. Yeah, get on their site, look at their Smart Force Student Summit, Manufacturing Brighter Futures. I love that tagline. Jim and Jason are busy working on the restructure of the Making Chips podcast. In the meantime, enjoy one of our favorite episodes from the archives. Manufacturing has a viable presence in the U.S., and it has a path forward. We may not completely understand what that is yet, but I think we'll get there together. It may not look like the same business model it was for my grandpa back in 1976. This was something that I heard often, well, we've always done it this way and it always works. But I think that creates dinosaurs and extinction. But being open and receptive to change and supporting it will allow our businesses to evolve. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. We've got Patricia Miller from Matrix 4 with us again. And if you do want to find out more about Patricia, we do have a previous episode where we talk about her bio. But in a nutshell, Patricia sort of grew up in the manufacturing industry, but she spent most of her working career working in big pharma and biotech marketing. And she was given the the opportunity to come into our wonderful manufacturing industry, and she grabbed it, and, and she's been very successful for the last year. So we're going to talk yeah. about what she's learned. Anxious to hear how yeah, it's Yeah, what she's learned over the last year, yeah. which I think a, a lot of our listeners will benefit from. We've we've got four points that Patricia thinks will be very relevant to the entire metalworking nation. Yeah, a lot of pain and suffering, I'm sure. There's a lot of pain a and suffering pain and in suffering. the metalworking industry, yeah. isn't there? Especially for her being the new kid on the block and uh, trying to figure it all out. It's going to be interesting to hear. Yeah, so let's get right into it. So, Patricia, what's your what's your number one point? Like your advice that you would give to the metalworking industry from someone that has been very green to the industry and has only been here for the last year and, and has kind of you know looked at the manufacturing industry for the most part from the outside. But now I, I really feel like you're you're part of us. You're an insider. You're you're part of the group. 
Well, so what's the number one point? I appreciate that. I think along those lines, uh, something that was really important for me when I came back and, and still is really important is connecting with the community and supporting each other. And I've been so blessed to have many people understand where I was coming from, support my vision of a company, get behind what I'm doing and share stories that are pretty similar to what I've come into as a manufacturing company. I don't view us as competitors. I truly view us as a community. And I think we all can learn from each other and our different backgrounds. Well said. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like a lot of us come from these family business environment and you have your story associated with your grandpa, which, you know, our listeners can listen to in a previous episode. We had another episode with Stacey Bales, also another woman executive in the manufacturing industry who has another story, which is not the same, but you know, it's still a family business story. And I, I feel like we all we all have that kind of camaraderie as it relates to to this community. Yes. And I've noticed it amongst small and large makers. It's been really nice to see receptivity in what is a startup? What is a path forward for manufacturing? And how can we support you get where you need to go? Obviously, it's not that easy, but it's nice to have people who have your back. Yeah. So you mentioned getting connected with the community. So you know, you stepped into the manufacturing community. Did you know anybody in the manufacturing community besides your family and the people that were directly a, a part of Matrix 4? I knew a few people in manufacturing from the pharmaceutical and biotech space, primarily those manufacturers that were supporting us on manufacturing product, manufacturing devices for but us. But not, not the But nothing manufacturing in manufacturing in the Midwest and what I'm doing right so now. So how did you find a community? The joy of the internet, right? Okay. Um, so I, gosh, I think it was on week one on the job. I thought I need to get connected and all industries have some similarities and even in pharma and biotech, there's associations, there's conferences, there's conventions you go to, and manufacturing has the same associations and conferences. And so I started looking up what are those associations and conferences that are in the area that I can get engaged in, get a grasp of what the heck's going on in manufacturing, and how do I become a player in the space? Yeah. And as a bonus, you met Jim and I. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it's all good. Yes, and and we met her. Well, that's say, the best part. Exactly. Um, that was one of the first events I went to. I looked up associations in the Chicago area and one was the TMA and I registered myself for a young leaders event and the only reason I registered for that event was because it was five blocks down the road from my building in Chicago. And when I was doing 20 hour week work days, I could actually make it over to that one. Oh, great. And so I went to it. And of course, when I walked in the door, they said, you must be at the wrong event. Because oh, <laughs> Wait, seriously, God. somebody told you that? Seriously. Yeah. And you persisted. So and, that's good. Uh, and I guess maybe because I was wearing a white jumpsuit and heels, you know, it wasn't appropriate for the factory. And I'm, you know, under 55 and not a white man. I went into the event. I said, no, I'm here for the TMA Young Leaders event. And after that, I was completely welcomed. And I have to say that the conversations I had that night completely gave me a good sense of 
I was in the right place because there were several people that could identify with what I was going through, a challenging business, basically a complete startup again, dealing with family business, challenges of manufacturing, et cetera. And I was so grateful for the night and the connections I made, Jim being one of them, that the next time we met, it was great to share my story and know that you're not alone. We've been through this before. You can get through this and you have people supporting you. Yeah. And, and, you know, we embrace people that want to come into the manufacturing industry. So, I mean, we think that's great. I mean, a diverse experience, I mean, can only make our industry stronger. So that's awesome. So what would be point number two? Point number two, I think, comes from my background. I, uh, within pharma and biotech, I was engaged in building brands and launching brands. And so truly understanding your market, your customer, what trends are happening, where are things going, I think is really important. And sometimes as manufacturers, I think we get so busy in the day-to-day that you can truly get consumed inside your business. But making sure that you take a step back and you look at what does my customer need? How do I create a positive experience for them? Um, and how do I position this company into something that's relevant and meaningful in the industry today and moving forward? I kind of can relate to what you're saying because what, what I try to do and what I'm trying to model my manufacturing company to be a little bit different than everybody else is try to anticipate my customer's needs, much like a five-star hotel does. If you've ever had that five-star hotel experience, it's uncanny how they get it, how they know they're anticipating your needs. And I've had the experience of being in that situation before. And I, it just it, it threw me off guard when I felt that. So I'm trying to use a little bit of that same philosophy within my manufacturing company because I think it's different. And I think people will feel it and make that connection. So. And I love that, Jim. And I think, you know, that's one thing I've heard several times being back in the industry is I'm not a marketer. I don't know how to market. And although I have a marketing degree and I come from a marketing background, I think a lot of it is just true common sense and really thinking about as a human before a customer, what do you want out of an experience? You want a positive experience. You want someone who goes above and beyond. You want good communication. You want to work with someone you like, has heart in it. I think there's a lot of basics that you can do to incorporate it that don't require a marketing degree. No, not um, at all. That I think we all have the ability to pull a lot of marketing into our business. Right. It's quite simple. You just have to really think about what your customer needs. What exactly. do they want? Exactly. What, what do you want? What do I want? What does Jason want when we buy something? I think, quite frankly, in our manufacturing companies, it's moving towards more of a B2C experience. And that's how I'm trying to craft my business as well. You know, when we go to Amazon.com or you go to any other e-commerce site and you go through that buy experience, what's the first thing you're looking for once you enter your credit card in and submit? What is it? Tell me, Jason. Confirmation. Confirmation. And what does that confirmation say? When am I going to get this? Absolutely. That's exactly what we want as consumers. We want immediate confirmation that order has been acknowledged. It comes back. And then we want to know the next thing we want to know right away is when the hell am I going to get that? You know, why did I just pay? Why did I just authorize $45 for UPS next day air to have it? I want to know if I'm going to pay that much money to have that the next day, 
I want to know when it's going to come from California to Texas to Kansas to Illinois, and when is it going to be at my door? I think you make a good point, Jim, that people are definitely looking for more B2C experience when it comes Absolutely. to their B2B buying. I, I think that you're right that, on with that. Yeah, it's, that's what the millennials are growing up on. That's all they know. So what they're doing is they're taking that B2C experience and they're expecting that in a B2B. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. think as business owners in a business environment, I think that if we can try and move to that type of experience, I think we're going to be better off. Absolutely. So going back to your point, your point, number two point, which is to understand your customers, what was the first thing you did in order to understand your customers? I met with all of them. I Great. talked to them Perfect all. Answer. I wanted to understand what was working well, what wasn't working well, what did they need from us, what were they not getting from us. And even looking at potential customers, because I knew most of my growth would come from top line, what are they not getting right now? How can we make sure that we're creating that positive customer experience for them? That's great. And I think even if if you're not like our customers may not be in your situation where they're coming into the industry fresh, even if you've been in the industry for a long time, you could still make that phone call and say, what do you need from a com- company like us? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What is our competition doing right? What is our competition doing wrong? And ask those questions. It's free market research and it allows you to continue building a relationship. Yeah. And, and customers, important. I think, want to hear that. Yeah. I mean, they want that question asked. They want to know that you care. Yeah. So, you, you know, you literally picked at the phone. You had never talked to them before and said, hello, my name is Patricia Miller. Yes, I am am the new CEO. Go ahead. I sent them all handwritten letters to introduce myself. That was your first touch point. That was my first touch point where I came from, why I'm coming back. And then I followed up with either visiting them in person or connecting with them over the phone. Wow. That's great. And, and, And you know what? Even if you're, you've been in the business for a long time, you could just write your customers and say, you know what? I just had an epiphany. I need to engage with you more. Write them a note. Yeah, thank them. Yeah. We talked about that in a previous podcast. We said, you know, a thank you note is probably one of those most powerful marketing messages that you could send to a customer. Send them a thank you note. Say, I want to engage with you more. I I haven't done this in the past. Apologize. Say, you know what? I should have been talking to you on a regular basis and asking you what you need from me. You know? Yeah. No, I was oblivious to this situation. I was busy and I didn't take the time to personally thank you. Absolutely. Great. I love it. Hey, Jason, did you know that there's going to be this economist? You know, there's a lot of economists out there and we've spoken with a lot on our show already, but at the manufacturing meeting in Doral, Florida, March 7th through the 10th, they've invited Dr. Alan Bellew to be part of it, and he's going to be talking about what the economy looks like moving out. He's going to be aligned with the futurist that's going to be there, and he'll be sharing his insight as to what the economy looks like moving forward. So is that just how so we can better prepare our businesses for the different cycles and trends that are in the future? It's all about proper preparation prevents poor performance. That's what it's all about. And I guarantee you, if you're at this conference and you're networking and listening to these intelligent people, you're going to walk away from that conference being a little bit smarter than you were before you got there. So go to the MFG meeting 2018. Register now. (laughs) 
So what, what's your number three point, Patricia? I think my number three point would be manufacturing has a viable presence in the U.S. and it has a path forward. And we may not completely understand what that is yet, but I think we'll get there together. And it may not look like the same business model it was for my grandpa back in 1976, Mm -hmm. but there for sure is space for us to be here. There's space for us to innovate. There's space for us to incorporate technology. There's space for us to still be competitive and to give a customer what they need. I would say number four, don't be afraid to change. I think this was something that I heard often from my grandpa was, well, we've always done it this way and it always worked. And well, you know, we've always been able to do high volume. We've always been able to backfill when a customer leaves, et cetera, that we've always done it. And so we always do it the same. But I think that creates dinosaurs and extinction. And it's really important to be able to be nimble and agile and pivot as the industry changes, as technology changes, or what our customers' needs are change. And being able to be receptive and not fearful, there may be some things, and I for sure learned it, not everything's going to be a success, but being open and receptive to change and supporting it will allow our businesses to evolve. So what was the first thing that had to change? Besides the wood. Did I steal one of your questions, Jim? Well, basically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. No, we got. I want to hear it, but gosh, one of the first things that had to change for me, it was more around an emotional and a cultural standpoint for me was changing the look of the inside of that space. Really? Because I wasn't born in 1976. If you've all seen the movie Tommy Boy, that's essentially what I came back to. Are you digging at people that were born in 1976? No, I love them. I love love 1976, but I'm an 80s 80s girl, and. As much as I love the wood paneling throughout the offices and no paint being updated since 1976. And you could still wipe the smoke off the wall. (laughs) And windows. (laughs) I really felt like it was important if we were going to take a stand and do something different and move this company forward that I had to do some things internally. And so I started coming in myself on the weekends, knocking down walls and repainting. Good for you. That's awesome. I think it makes a huge difference. I think it just sets you up. It, it, your attitude changes. Yeah. It, it just it, So did the staff, did their attitudes change? Yes, they were so appreciative. And in fact, most of them then got on board with painting with oh, me great. on the weekends and That's getting awesome. things done. What a great bonding experience, Which too. was awesome. Obviously, for me, when you're at 10% capacity, I'm free labor. So I was the one doing most of it at the beginning. But- I loved seeing their vested interest in improving the building. And I think more than anything, it was probably stuff they wanted to do for a while and weren't able to do because, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it was right. kind of the mentality in there before. There was no one pushing for that. There yeah. was, it, was, it, was, it sounded like it was just a static. Yes. They were going along just status quo. Yeah. But you came in, you shook it up a little bit, like a, a globe, you know what I mean? You know, what are those winter snow globe? And you came up and you took that and you shook the hell out of it and you got things moving again. And people are receptive to that. People like new, some people do like change. I would say most people do. You got to give them hope and you got to give them. Bingo. You have to give them hope. Exactly. Not just change for the sense of change. Right. That you care about 
when we go into that office every day and spend several hours a day and a week in there, I'm a huge fan of you do not want to live your life having to put pump up music on the car ride to the office. You want to go in and love what you do and get really passionate about it. And to me, building a team and a culture that's inspired and passionate ultimately leads to better products, better customer experiences, and in the end, better profit. I would say, I I think you've nailed your fifth and final point, which is to give your staff. She only had four. Well, we're giving her five <laughs> because I'll the number five it. is so good. It's like to give your company hope, hope and, 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 and also for that hope to, you know, translate to your customer base. I think that that's amazing. Yeah. So how was the culture? So it's been 10 months. The culture back then was probably pretty low. And now give us a difference in how you feel the culture has changed. I think it's changed dramatically and you don't necessarily see the change right from the start when you start implementing some of these things. I mean, it for sure is we say we're building the ship at the same time as we sail it or we're climbing Mount Everest and we just got to base camp. But I think that once you start to see some of the improvements take hold, when customers start to notice it or you start to get a new sail in, it gives the team a sense of the why behind what you're doing, what you're doing. So painting walls doesn't equate to sales, but painting walls equates to empowering your people, driving a culture, having a perception and a brand that's around innovation and giving them hope in this and new giving them business. hope that something's going on. And ultimately, those things inadvertently lead to sales, but they may not from the start. And I've loved building a team that's empowered and inspired to drive their jobs. I think they came from a culture that was more command and control, where they were doers and not necessarily thinkers. And I'm a huge fan of, I love your brain as much as you can be a doer. And I want to inspire you and empower you to make decisions and do the best for the job that you have. Because I for sure don't know it better than most of them do. I'm from outside industry. Right, absolutely. So I can set the tone and drive a strategy, but I want to empower them that we're building a startup together and building a company together. So how has the employment changed Obviously, when you came in 10 months ago, there were how many employees? Seven. Seven. And now, 10 months later, you have 25? Yes. So you've added 300%. Yes. And tell us a little bit how, how it how it breaks down. Did some of your legacy or veteran uh, employee staff leave, or did you gain any new Yes. Two of our legacy employees left, both of which were family members. My uncle retired and my cousin went to another opportunity in manufacturing. And I increased the workforce by about 20 people. And I was very thoughtful as we start to bring those people in. What kind of culture do we want to create? What kind of expertise do they have? And can they thrive in a startup culture and environment? And so I wanted people that were experts in their space, but could also get excited about building a company, wearing multiple hats, working hard, playing hard, um, and ultimately building a business together. Fantastic stuff. What kind of roadblocks 
did you have? Because I'm sure there's, when I think about all the people that are going through the, the, the same challenges in their manufacturing careers right now, you know, the family business, it's so common in this industry. What roadblocks did you hit along the way that you want to share with our listeners that so they don't misstep or when they're in that situation, one week, one month, one year, 10 years from now, they'll remember this episode and they'll, they'll remember what you said and they'll think twice before they make that decision. I for sure face many roadblocks and we are not the definition of success yet, right? We're still in a startup mentality. I think the biggest thing was, was from a personal standpoint, you know, I had come from a biotech space, which is essentially startup pharma. And so I thought I understood small business and startup mentality. And I for sure was wrong because startup biotech is still usually funded by Wall Street and has pretty good amount of cash in the bank. Doing a true startup where you've got to make sure you pay payroll at the end of the week where you're running at 10% and you've got a certain amount of cash in the bank is definitely a different space from where I came from. And getting comfortable with those challenges and learning to make trade-off decisions with capital and cash um, was something I had to get really comfortable with. But I think beyond that, just the challenges of manufacturing overall. How are we going to grow? Where are our customers going to come from? What technology do we have to incorporate? What do we need to change? How do we pivot a culture that's so used to the tried and true way of manufacturing for 39 years to something different. I brought in an executive coach to help you me did. through that okay. because changing culture and getting people on board was really important to me. What did you take that person on full time or was it a consultant? A consultant role. I didn't have, I couldn't afford to take them on full time, but I also couldn't afford to not have somebody through that. So when I only had seven people, I wanted to bring someone in who could help drive accountability, help drive priorities and, um, and strategically where we were headed. And so, um, I had him come into every weekly staff meeting with us for the first three months I was on board. So culture change was, is hard. It's, great in theory that we're going to be changing and we're going to bring bringing in work, but doing it in practice is sometimes more challenging. Getting a team comfortable with this isn't a cushy job, right? We're a startup. We don't, we have to look at where revenue is coming from. We've got to make trade-off decisions. We've got to stay working hard. That was something to get behind. Family dynamics, those are always challenging to deal with in business. It was for sure the first time for me I'm used to dealing with a board or leadership in Wall Street. I wasn't used to dealing with my grandma or an uncle or my mom. Um, Completely and so, different dynamics. Yeah. So how how do Completely you different. how do you work along those lines um, was important too. But I think ultimately it is you're going to hit challenges in whatever job or whatever career you have. But being able to really stay true to your strategy and a vision and see that path forward allows you to get past some of the roadblocks when they come up. Great. Jason, do you have any other questions for Patricia? I don't. I think this has been a great educational experience. And I think that our audience is definitely going to learn a lot from this. 
Yeah, that um, was one of my big questions was, you know, going from that heavily resourced. I mean, you almost had unlimited money when you're in biotech and pharma to, you know, really, I have to make sure I make payroll. That's the number yeah. one priority. Yeah, you get, <laughs> oh. you start to get creative and yeah. Yeah. Uh, you do a lot on your own, right? And that's always the challenge of how much am I working in my business versus working on my business and being able to get a team and in find place. A, and find a balance. Yeah. And find a balance. What do you see as the next stages in the development of the company? I think now we've cleaned shop. We've definitely made a ton of changes internally, improved processes and systems. I've brought on a stellar team, a rock star team, I call them. So I think for now, it's driving revenue, increasing our awareness as a manufacturing. In so the focusing space. on the marketing. Focusing on marketing, focusing on driving the business now, knowing that I have the team and the capabilities in place to support it, and getting more engaged on the upfront with design, engineering, and prototyping. Yeah, that's huge. That's a huge thing. Okay, similar to the episode where we had, you know, Ray Zagato from Bilink on where he wanted to go more engineer to engineer. That's huge. It sounds I mean, like that's the direction that you want to go into. Or engineer to inventor and maker. There you go. Yes. Wonderful. There you go. Beautifully said. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips.